We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 295 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. What a wild day Monday ended up being for both myself and our commanders. The wife and two kids came home late Monday afternoon. Uh, Dada's time all to himself came to an abrupt end, and I had the distinct honor of emptying the car of the soon-to-be 20-month-old daughter having thrown up all over the car seat. That was nice. Oh, I got brought back down to earth real quick. I got humbled real quick. Uh, Yeah, as our friend the Iron Sheik would say, I got made humble. Make him humble. Yes, Sheiky baby, I got made humble. I got put in the camel clutch, okay? There was no question about that. But also on Monday was a jam-packed news day for the commanders. You know, you never know when commander's news may come. And Monday ended up being one of those days, one of those days on which we were inundated with commander's news. Left and right, we had commander's news popping up. Uh, We, on Monday had the commanders sending a letter to the Federal Trade Commission as a response to the letter that Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform had sent to the Federal Trade Commission. We, on Monday, had the commanders beginning their 2022 off-season program. Uh, These are mostly, wait for it, voluntary activities. Now, commanders edge defender Chase Young was in attendance, the team tweeted out a photo of Chase pushing a sled and pushing a sled with no knee brace. Uh, That was good to see with him coming off a torn right ACL. But we also on Monday had ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter reporting that commander's receiver Terry McLaurin is not planning on attending OTA practices this offseason until a contract extension is done, although the plan is for Terry to participate in non-on-the-field voluntary activities this offseason, although Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN on Monday reported that Terry and also 
left tackle Charles Leno Jr. did not participate in Monday's start of non-on-the-field voluntary off-season activities due to Easter travel. Uh, but Terry and Charles were expected to be in attendance on Tuesday. Uh, we on Monday had the Commanders reportedly hosting two big pre-draft visits. Pre-draft visits for two high-level prospects in the 2022 NFL Draft. Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton and Ohio State receiver Garrett Wilson. And we on Monday had the Commanders hiring a new head athletic trainer, Al Bellamy. Was that enough for you? Was that enough Commander's news for you on a Monday in mid-April? I will, over the course of this show, react to, discuss, and analyze a very busy Monday of Commander's news. Uh, Next segment, I will take you through the key parts of this uh, letter from the Commander's to the Federal Trade Commission. Boy, did Dan Snyder and his team fire back shots at the whistleblower former team employee Jason Friedman in the financial scandal. Uh, I'll then talk about what Adam Schefter reported on Monday about Terry McLaurin in his uh, contract extension situation. I'll then give you a breakdown of Kyle Hamilton and welcome on a special guest to talk Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame insider Pete Sampson of The Athletic. And I'll then discuss the hiring of Al Bellamy as head athletic trainer, replacing, of course, Ryan Vermillion, who apparently is still under investigation by the Drug Enforcement Administration. So let me see if I have this straight. We have Congress and the Federal Trade Commission involved in the commander's workplace misconduct and financial scandals. We have the DEA investigating Washington's now former head athletic trainer, Ryan Vermillion. We also, by the way, have a former Washington safety, DeShazer Everett, who has been charged with involuntary manslaughter. Uh, All right, I just wanted to make sure that I had that straight because you can't keep the investigations and the scandals related to our commander straight without a scorecard. Uh, Also on the show, I will talk Capitals. Uh, What a win for the Caps late night on Monday night, a 3-2 win at the NHL-leading Colorado Avalanche. I tell you, lately the Caps either beat a great team, win big, or lose big. Well, the Caps on Monday night won at the best team in the NHL. Another milestone goal for Alex Ovechkin, and our playoff-bound Caps are climbing the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, And I'll talk Orioles late in the show, a 5-1 loss for the O's at the Oakland A's late night on Monday night. Despite more good pitching for the O's, uh, it was their offense and it was the defense that failed the O's in this game. The pitching actually did not. Uh, no game for the Nationals on Monday night. Their game against the Arizona Diamondbacks predictably was rained out. And so we on Tuesday will have a day-night doubleheader at Nationals Park. Game one on Tuesday afternoon at 105. Game two on Tuesday night at 705. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have received lots of tweets off the Capitals on Sunday night, clinching a spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs for a 32nd time in 39 seasons. I talked about that on Monday's show, episode 294. I also tweeted about that on Sunday night. A tweet from former Wizards executive Chuck Douglas. How about that? Uh, DC's most consistent winning pro franchise. Uh, Well said, Chuck. Yes, the Caps are DC's 
most consistent winning pro franchise. A tweet from Danny R. Caps. In the regular season, this team has been so consistent year to year, it's always come playoff time that things don't work out. While it's bad that things haven't worked out in the postseason a lot, I do appreciate how entertaining this team has been and how it has transformed the city. Uh, Yeah, you know, you can't have the Caps making the postseason so often conversation without bringing up the brutal reality that the Caps in their franchise history have advanced past the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs just three times, okay? That's it, just three times, 1990, 1998, and 2018. Uh, That is a harsh and painful reality for us as Caps fans, but you can acknowledge that reality while also appreciating that the Caps have made the playoffs with an incredible frequency over the last four decades, Uh, As I have said many times, yes, the Caps have failed in way too many postseasons, but in order to fail in postseasons, you must make postseasons. And few teams in sports have made postseasons as much as the Caps have. A tweet from Commander Canada on the Commanders sending their letter to the Federal Trade Commission. Gotta give the Commanders credit where it's due. They showed the receipts. You can't always believe what you hear. Is this more of a smear campaign or does it have basis? Better be careful. Or as Goldie said, Dan Snyder may become a sympathetic figure. Uh, Yeah, Commander Canada. I do believe that that possibility exists. Now, we're not there yet, and it's going to take quite a bit for us to get to a point at which Dan Snyder becomes a sympathetic figure, but especially given the politics of congressional involvement in the commander scandals, the allegations proving to be false would make Dan a sympathetic figure in the minds of some. I've already seen that opinion from some people. Uh, email from Robert Krakauer on something that I brought up on last Thursday's show, episode 292, the possibility of the commander's financial scandal eventually leading to Dan Snyder going on trial. (laughs) Could you imagine that? The trial of the Danny. Uh, Writes Robert, you mentioned the hypothetical trial of Washington commander's owner Dan Snyder and speculated how it would go. This immediately brought to my mind the series finale of Seinfeld. I imagine a procession of all of the people who Snyder has wronged over the years, from Marty Schottenheimer to Albert Hainsworth to Scott McLuhan to Mike Shanahan. Bruce Allen would be sure to be there, supplying the prosecution with every character witness. Every person would have his or her own harrowing tale of working for Snyder and forging ahead through the reverse car wash. The possibilities are endless for this epic debacle of a trial. The Seinfeld finale was a two-part episode. Two episodes would do a grave injustice to the dysfunction that we've lived through for two decades. What a happy Thanksgiving it would be to see my second most hated person in the world standing trial for his crimes against logic and decency. Uh, Thank you for the email, Robert. I won't ask you who your most hated person in the world is. Uh, I would actually say that Albert Hainsworth wronged Dan Snyder far more than Dan wronged Albert, but I get what you're saying. The trial of the Danny. Think about that. The trial of the Danny would be 
an all-timer. I'm not sure that we're going to be getting that, but it is fun to think about. Well, if Dan Snyder does ever go on trial, he should certainly seek legal advice from the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C., based family law firm that offers tenacious advocacy for personal injury and medical malpractice victims throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you or your family is dealing with a personal injury or medical malpractice matter, contact Paulson and Nace and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. The phone number is 202-902-7611. You can schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You have questions, you have concerns. Lean on the expertise of Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611 and make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. For nearly 40 years, the Washington, D.C. personal injury lawyers of Paulson and Nace have represented plaintiffs in medical malpractice, drug, and other product liability claims, as well as countless other personal injury matters, all the way through trial and jury verdicts, winning and securing multi-million dollar verdicts and settlements for clients. I've known the Naces for two plus decades. These guys know what they're doing. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. The attorneys at Paulson and Nace offer clients in-depth explanation of their rights regarding treatment and consent and provide comfort and options to families. Paulson and Nace works with you, the family of Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions and can provide the answers to your questions when you need answers most. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611 to schedule your no-obligation appointment and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, so much Commander's news on Monday. Let us start digging into the news right now. And we, of course, begin with non-football news because, of course, we had non-football news with the Commanders on Monday and the Non-football news with the Commanders on Monday was a major development in the Commanders' financial scandal. So if you caught my conversation with sports business insider Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic on Friday's show, episode 293 of the Al Galdi podcast, you perhaps remember that Daniel made some news in telling us that Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform had sent its letter to the Federal Trade Commission that came out last Tuesday without seeking a response from the commanders. That seemed kind of odd, right? That the House Committee on Oversight and Reform would send a major letter like that, a letter detailing a number of allegations by former team employee Jason Friedman against the commanders in the financial scandal, and not even ask the commanders for a response. I mean, that to me was not a good look for Congress. Well, we on Monday got a response from the commanders, and the response was in the form of a letter that the commander sent to the Federal Trade Commission. I tell you, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC must be loving all of these letters that the commission 
is receiving these days. Uh, This letter from the commanders to the Federal Trade Commission was a 22-page letter that was written by Commander's Attorney Jordan Sieve. Uh, The letter was addressed to the chair of the Federal Trade Commission, Lena M. Kahn. And the commanders didn't just provide a letter to the Federal Trade Commission. The commanders also provided 83 pages of signed affidavits, emails, and texts. Uh, The three affidavits came from former Washington Director of Finance Paul Szczynski. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. His last name is spelled S-Z-C-Z-E-N-S-K-I. I'll call him Paul S. for our purposes. Uh, former Washington Chief Operating Officer Mitch Gershman and former Washington General Counsel David Donovan. Uh, make no mistake, the commanders on Monday fired back. The commanders on Monday struck back at Jason Friedman and Congress, and the commanders didn't just provide words, the commanders provided evidence. Now, how good the evidence is, how valid the evidence is, we don't yet know, but the commanders on Monday did not strike back empty-handed. Regarding the Jason Friedman allegation of Washington having kept two sets of books, uh, Paul S. said, in his signed affidavit that, quote, I can state unequivocally that I never helped maintain or saw anyone else maintain a second set of books. And quote, uh, the commander's letter to the Federal Trade Commission ripped the claims of Jason Friedman, whose allegations, remember, were the basis of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform's letter to the Federal Trade Commission. I mean, if not for Jason Friedman's allegations, there is no letter from the House Committee on Oversight and Reform to the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, Mitch Gershman, in his affidavit, called Friedman's claims, quote, baseless, end quote, as well as, quote, false and reckless, end quote, and based on, quote, pure speculation, end quote. Uh, one of the more interesting points of the letter was that Jason Friedman worked at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland, and not at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. It is at the team headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia, that we have the finance and accounting departments of the team. The finance and accounting departments are not at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland. Uh, Another key point in the commander's letter to the Federal Trade Commission was that Jason Friedman is a disgruntled former employee who, in fact, had wanted to return to working for the team. Consider this, according to the letter. Jason Friedman, this past January, told team president Jason Wright in an email, quote, I've had a year to reflect on my past shortcomings. I've learned and I am remorseful for these shortcomings. If you welcomed me, I'd be back there to help at a moment's notice, end quote. So note, an email from the inbox of Jason Wright is part of the commander's defense in the financial scandal. Uh, It would seem, we're not certain of this, but it would seem that Jason Wright is all in on aiding the Dan Snyder defense in the financial scandal. Uh, Regarding the commanders having hit ticket revenue uh, that was supposed to have been shared with the NFL, right? This has been a big part of this financial scandal. The commanders having allegedly hid ticket revenue that was supposed to have been shared with the NFL. The commanders allegedly having stolen money from the NFL. Uh, The commander's letter to the Federal Trade Commission pointed out that the team is subjected to yearly audits by an outside firm, BDO, 
and is subjected to an audit every few years by an NFL auditor, Ernst & Young. Uh, Jason Friedman alleged that revenue from non-NFL events at FedEx Field were not subjected to those audits. The commander's letter said that that's not true. The commander's letter to the Federal Trade Commission basically said that Jason Friedman is a liar, is a phony, and that he has been spewing fake news. Uh, There's a lot more to the commander's letter to the Federal Trade Commission, but you get the idea. I mean, I don't want to bore you with every detail. Uh, Look, the situation with the commander's financial scandal remains what I have said. One of the two sides is either wrong and or is outright lying. Either Jason Friedman is wrong and or lying, or the commanders are wrong and or lying. It can't be that both sides are right. Uh, Maybe the side that's wrong thinks that it's right and thus isn't lying, but it can't be that both sides are right. The credibility of Jason Friedman and the validity of his allegations are everything in this financial scandal. Uh, I do not believe that Dan Snyder deserves the benefit of the doubt in any of this. I don't know how anyone could believe that Danny Boy deserves the benefit of the doubt in any of this. But I also do not believe that you can just try to oust Dan Snyder as owner of the commanders based on things for which there is no proof or based on things that just aren't true. I mean, you can't just make stuff up, you know? Just because Dan Snyder is bad doesn't mean that every enemy of his is good. And so I do think that both the commanders and Jason Friedman are worthy of scrutiny. And here's the deal. Whichever side is right, whichever side is telling the truth, should welcome the scrutiny. You know, I've seen some people say that having doubts about Jason Friedman is victim shaming or victim blaming. No, 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 no. Okay. All I want, all that I think most people want is the truth. That's it. The truth. As much as I would love for Dan Snyder to be ousted as owner of the Commanders, and trust me, I would love for that to happen, uh, that end does not justify a means of, you know, lying and making things up to get him out. The truth matters. The truth matters a lot. And so if Jason Friedman is telling the truth and is to be lauded for the courage that he has shown in coming forward with these allegations, then he should welcome scrutiny because his allegations will hold up against scrutiny. And you know what? He'll make Dan Snyder and the commanders look even worse. But I tell you what, and this is my concern. If what Jason Friedman is alleging isn't true, either because he's wrong or because he's outright lying, then he looks really bad and a lot of other people look really bad. Uh, Namely, the Democrats on the House Committee on oversight and reform, because it is the Dems who have been driving congressional involvement in the commander's scandals. And also looking bad will be those people who are saying that they believe Jason Friedman, you know, people like his lawyers, Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz. Now, speaking of Banks and Katz, uh, they on Monday came out with a statement, quote, Mr. Friedman stands by his testimony, which was truthful and based on his experiences with the team. He is happy to answer follow-up questions from Congress, the FTC, or any government agency. My client is also prepared to defend himself publicly against these allegations if Mr. Snyder permits him to do so. In the meantime, we will communicate directly with the team about these 
demonstratively false allegations. End quote. So, okay. That, to me, is what you want to hear from Team Jason Friedman off what Team Danny Boy put out there on Monday. Uh, Again, if Jason Friedman is telling the truth and is to be lauded for the courage that he has shown in coming forward with these allegations, then he should welcome scrutiny because his allegations will hold up against scrutiny and he'll make Dan Snyder and the commanders look even worse. Uh, Let me make this clear. I am rooting for Jason Friedman to be telling the truth. I am hoping, I am yearning, I am pining for Jason Friedman to be telling the truth because him telling the truth could, wouldn't definitely, but could lead to the coup of Danny Boy as owner of the Commanders. But let me also make this clear. I'm not going to be some sap who just blindly swallows everything that is said and written. You know, if our world has taught us anything over the last five years, it is that the truth matters. You can't just believe everything that you hear and read, okay? It's important to know what's true and what is fake news. And the number one thing with this financial scandal is figuring out the truth. And we on Monday got another piece of the puzzle. Well, a key piece to the puzzle that is running a successful business is ImageWorks. If you own, run, or work at a business that you want to grow, if you want your business to generate more revenue, then you got to work with ImageWorks. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company. And ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a free review of your website to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. Let ImageWorks tell you how your website can be even better. You have nothing to lose. Take advantage of this free offer. All you have to do is go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact, you're the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. That's imageworkscreative.com. Image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact, you're the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Also, you can call or text the owner of ImageWorks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. Scott's a great guy, big Commanders fan, big Nationals fan. Just make sure that you mention to him the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. ImageWorks and you can plan a success strategy, create exceptional brand and web experiences, market your business to your customers, evolve your brand and website experience, and so much more. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for a free review of your website. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right, so Monday was the first day of the Commander's 2022 offseason program. The Commander's OTAs, Organized Team Activities. Now, the offseason program, uh, offseason program is like an umbrella phrase for a variety of things that an NFL team will do with its players in the offseason. The offseason program includes things like weightlifting sessions, other workouts, meetings, and actual practices. The majority of an NFL team's offseason program is, wait for it, voluntary. 
although voluntary comes with a wink and an odd. Uh, it's more like voluntold. And there actually is a portion of an NFL team's offseason program that is mandatory. Uh, that would be the mandatory minicamp, which happens in June. What started on Monday was non-on-field practice stuff for the commanders. So things like weightlifting. Again, voluntary. Uh, I got to tell you, every time I hear about the commander's offseason program, I think about Mike Shanahan. I think about Uncle Mike, because Uncle Mike, in his first offseason as Redskins executive vice president slash head coach, the 2010 offseason, talked incessantly about the Skins offseason program. Uh, Mike, in that 2010 offseason, constantly, and I mean constantly, emphasized the importance of the offseason program, the strength and conditioning program. I know that Mike felt like a lot of Skins players at the time were not in great shape. Er, Albert Hainsworth. And so Mike, in that 2010 offseason, constantly harped on the importance of the Skins offseason program. The offseason program or strength and conditioning program. Yeah, there you go. That was Mike Shanahan back in the day talking up the Skins offseason program, the strength and conditioning program. The offseason program or strength and conditioning program. Yes, Mike, we got it. Uh, anyway, the Commanders 2022 offseason program began on Monday. And so wasn't it interesting what came out bright and early on Monday morning? A series of tweets from NFL insider Adam Schefter, who reported some oh-so-interesting things on Commander's receiver Terry McLaurin. Uh, Schefter, in a series of rather confusing tweets, reported that Terry McLaurin and other prominent non-first-round receivers from the 2019 NFL Draft are, quote, not expected to participate in their team's on-field off-season programs because they want new contracts at a time this off-season when wide receiver deals have exploded per league sources, end quote. Uh, now, Schefter did also tweet that, quote, as a team leader, Terry McLaurin still will be reporting to the team's off-season program that opens today while his contract situation remains unresolved per source, end quote. Uh, I have to tell you, I had to read these Schefter tweets multiple times before the tweets made sense regarding Terry McLaurin. Schefter's initial tweet in his uh, series of tweets at least kind of sort of made it sound like Terry would be no-showing the offseason program. And Schefter in his initial tweet in his series of tweets said that Terry was a second round pick of Washington. Terry, of course, was taken by the Redskins in the third round of the 2019 NFL draft, but tweeted Schefter, quote, second round picks that include wide receivers Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, and Terry McLaurin are not expected to participate in their team's on-field offseason programs because they want new contracts at a time this offseason when wide receiver deals have exploded per league sources, end quote. Uh, no, Terry was taken by the skins in the third round of the 2019 draft. Now look, I mean, it's at the end of the world that Schefter made that mistake, but that is something that an Adam Schefter should be getting right. Uh, you know, and it's not been a great last few months for Adam Schefter on Twitter. Uh, anyway, a few thoughts on all of this. So first of all, this all clearly was given 
to Adam Schefter by agents for these players. Uh, it now is widely known that Schefter gets the bulk of his information and intel from players' agents. I mean, that to me is as obvious as could be. And this actually has become part of the criticism of Schefter, that he more and more has become a mouthpiece for NFL player agents. Uh, see what Schefter tweeted about what Minnesota Vikings running back Dalvin Cook was accused of. I won't go into all of that now, but uh, you can Google that. Uh, especially since Schefter put out this series of tweets early Monday morning. I mean, the series of tweets came out in the 6 a.m. Eastern hour on Monday. Schefter pretty clearly was given this info, given this intel by these players' agents, and then waited until the workday was beginning to put the news out there. But okay, what about Terry McLaurin? What about our team captain, our never misbehaves, no drama, all business, stud receiver, Terry McLaurin? Is he actually going to be no-showing these, yes, voluntary on-field practices for the commanders this offseason? Is Terry going to choose not to attend OTA practices for the commanders? Is Terry going to choose not to attend key parts of the commander's offseason program? The off-season program or strength and conditioning program? Yes, Mike, the off-season program. Uh, well, I guess that Terry McLaurin just may no-show the voluntary OTA practices for the commanders this off-season. And honestly, uh, while I don't love that, I can't say that I blame Terry. You know, purely from a standpoint of what if he gets injured? During one of these voluntary off-season practices, what if he gets hurt during one of these OTA practices? You know, something that I think sticks with a lot of Commanders players is what happened with Reuben Foster. You remember Reuben Foster? Never forget what happened with Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster was a linebacker with the Redskins a few years ago. Reuben, during the Skins' first OTA practice, of 2019, May 20th, 2019, to be precise, suffered a torn left ACL, a torn left LCL, a torn left MCL, and nerve damage. And that's it. Reuben Foster hasn't played in an NFL game since. His career was destroyed by a horribly injured left knee that got injured added OTA practice. What was, as I said, the Skins' first OTA practice of the 2019 offseason? Well, who was among the Skins' rookies in that 2019 offseason? Terry McLaurin. He saw what happened to Reuben Foster. And I get it. Serious injury can happen at any time on a football field. And you can't operate out of fear throughout your career as an NFL player. That said, you can pick your spots, right? You can be smart in the injury risk that you take. And, you know, it's one thing to play in the middle of a season when you're worried about injury. It's another thing to partake in a voluntary off-season practice when you're in the midst of a negotiation for a long-term big money contract extension, especially when you are an established player who, yes, might benefit from the OTA practice, but, you know, OTA practices mainly are meant to benefit guys who are 
trying to prove themselves, trying to get used to a new situation. I mean, I don't want to say that the OTA practices would have no value for Terry. I'm sure that they would have some value, especially given the presence of a new starting quarterback for the Commanders and Carson Wentz. But, you know, Terry McLaurin, to me, could miss these OTA practices and probably be just fine come the 2022 regular season. And so you think about all of this and you say to yourself, okay, well, if I'm Terry, what would I do? I'm entering the final season of my four-year rookie contract. I'm an excellent receiver. I have seen other great receivers sign mega money contracts slash contract extensions this offseason, right? Devontae Adams with the Las Vegas Raiders, Tyree Kill with the Miami Dolphins, the Maryland product, Stephon Diggs with the Buffalo Bills. So what should I do? I mean, do I want Terry McLaurin as a leader and a key player for the commanders attending every offseason activity? Yes, I do. But I get it if Terry chooses to pass on the voluntary on-field work this offseason until a contract extension gets done. Now, I'm assuming that Terry truly is open to signing a contract extension with the commanders and isn't using the lack of an extension as a reason to no-show OTA practices. I mean, that certainly is not the kind of thing that I would think that Terry would do. Uh, Terry is not some slacker who is just looking for an excuse not to participate in OTA practices. Uh, But yeah, the risk, however small, of Terry suffering a serious injury at one of these OTA practices isn't worth it prior to him signing the mega money contract that, oh, by the way, he ultimately is going to sign, okay, either with the commanders or another NFL team. Keep this in mind. The press release from the agents that Adam Schefter put out, I mean, the tweets that Adam Schefter put out only said that Terry was planning on not participating in the commanders on-field off-season program. In other words, it may well be that Terry participates in the off-the-field portion of the off-season program, like the weightlifting and the meetings. So it's not like Terry is just saying, I'm out of here and I'm no-showing everything until I get my money. It's more like, no, I'm going to participate, but I'm going to be smart about things. And until I get a long-term contract extension done, you know, I'm going to protect myself to at least a certain extent. Uh, Hopefully the commanders get a contract extension with Terry McLaurin done sooner rather than later. As I have said, though, extensions tend to not happen until deep into off-seasons. That certainly has been the trend for a good number of recent contract extensions for Washington players, including Jonathan Allen, whose contract extension with Washington last off-season didn't get announced until July 27, 2021. So we need to be patient with a potential contract extension for Terry McLaurin with the commanders. And the commanders need to come hard and come correct and make Terry an offer that he can't refuse. I mean, Terry is not just going to settle for some El Cheapo contract extension, okay? Not with how good he is, not with the extreme quarterback uncertainty with which he has played with Washington and which the commanders may still well have with Carson Wentz. So, you know, to me, when it comes to the commanders potentially signing Terry McLaurin to a contract extension this offseason, be patient, okay? Don't panic. Not yet, anyway. Uh, let's hope that a contract extension gets done sometime between now and the start of commander's training camp. And if an extension isn't done by the start of training camp, then I think you can start to be concerned. Uh, but in the meantime, if Terry McLaurin skips a few OTA practices, 
Not ideal, but also not the end of the world. I think that we can all live with that. The off-season program or strength and conditioning program. Yes, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, up next, Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton. Uh, one of the more exciting prospects in the 2022 NFL Draft. The Commanders on Monday reportedly hosted Hamilton for a visit. What would the Commanders be getting in Kyle Hamilton were they to draft him? I'll discuss that and welcome on a special guest to talk Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame insider Pete Sampson of The Athletic after this. All right, so like so many of you, I work out, I try to eat healthy, I want to be healthy, but like so many of you, I'm busy, you know, two podcasts, two young kids, crazy hours, a house, you know how it is. Uh, We want to be healthy, but we have like a million things going on, and so that's why I leave my meals to Factor. Factor is the ultimate meal plan for people who want to be healthy, but who don't have the time to be planning and prepping meals. And Factor right now is offering a great deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never-frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe that they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals right to where you live, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep, Uh, not to mention cleanup, no dishes to wash. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. It's even faster than ordering in. And Factor meals are put together by registered dietitians and expert chefs who work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. Also, you won't get bored with Factor. Uh, Factor offers more than 29 meal options each week. Uh, Factor knows my preferences. My favorites are the buffalo chicken, the keto chili, and the Santa Fe beef bowl. Especially for those of you who work out, want to eat clean, want to put on muscle, Factor is perfect for you. So here's what you do. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Yeah, you heard that right. $120 off. That's go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Hey, especially with inflation, who couldn't use saving $120 right now? Give Factor a try. Save yourself $120 and tell me what you think. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. You gotta try Factor because fitness starts with food. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is an exciting time of year if you're an NFL fan. The buzz, the scuttlebutt for the 2022 NFL Draft is picking up, and that includes buzz, that includes a scuttlebutt for our commanders in the 2022 draft, in which, as you likely know, the commanders have the number 11 overall pick. We this past Saturday had multiple reports that the commanders were to be hosting USC receiver Drake London for a visit this week. And we on Monday had multiple reports that the commanders were hosting Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton for a visit on Monday. Let's talk some Kyle Hamilton. You know, ESPN NFL draft analyst Mel Kuyper Jr. in his latest 2022 mock draft, which came out last Wednesday, has the commanders taking Hamilton at 11. Uh, Writes Mel, quote, Hamilton has been dinged a little bit because of his 40 time, which was a 4.59 at the combine and a little slower at his pro day. He's a fantastic player, but he doesn't have rare physical tools, which means he could fall out of the top 10. I would want him on my team. At six foot four, he could play multiple positions from center fielder to box linebacker. He would make plays for a Washington defense that disappointed in 2021. End quote. Uh, yes, the Washington defense did, unfortunately, disappoint in 2021. Uh, there's a lot to be thinking about with the commanders potentially drafting Kyle Hamilton. So let us think about these things. Uh, first of all, the strengths. Uh, Kyle Hamilton is big and is athletic. Uh, Hamilton at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine measured as being 6'4 and one-eighths of an inch and 220 pounds. He is six foot four plus. That is rather tall for a safety. For comparison's sake, Cameron Curl is listed by the commanders as being 6'2". Bobby McCain is listed by the commanders as being 5'9". Kyle Hamilton is 6'4". Uh, there has been talk of Hamilton perhaps not being as athletic as you would like. Well, uh, know this. Hamilton registered a relative athletic score, or RAS, of 9.3 on a scale of 0 to 10. Uh, Hamilton's RAS ranked number 60 out of 846 free safety prospects in NFL drafts from 1987 through 2022. Relative athletic score, or RAS, is something that I talked about quite a bit last year during NFL draft season. Uh, RAS has gained a lot of notoriety in recent years. Uh, RAS was developed by this guy, Kent Lee Platty, who is a Navy veteran. I actually had Kent on the podcast 
last year. So RAS basically grades a player's measurements and NFL scouting combine slash pro day metrics on a zero to 10 scale compared to his peer group. Uh, The idea, and it's a good idea, is to give context to all of these heights and weights and player workout achievements that all just end up being numbers to a lot of us, you know? So like, okay, this guy is 6'4", 220, ran a 4'5", 940. What does that mean relative to others at his position? Well, that's where relative athletic score, that's where RAS comes in. The idea is to give context to a player's height, weight, 40-yard dash time, bench press, vertical jump, broad jump, etc. Kyle Hamilton, again, ranked number 60 out of 846 free safety NFL draft prospects from 1987 through 2022. Not bad. Uh, But my favorite thing about Kyle Hamilton is his versatility. Uh, The guy can play all over the field. Here were Hamilton's defensive snaps by alignment for Pro Football Focus in his 2021 junior season at Notre Dame, 227 snaps in the slot, 114 snaps as a deep safety, 87 snaps as a box safety, six snaps as an outside corner, four snaps as a defensive lineman. Here were Hamilton's defensive snaps by alignment for Pro Football Focus in his 2020 sophomore season at Notre Dame, 111 snaps in the slot, 321 snaps as a deep safety, 139 snaps as a box safety, six snaps as an outside corner, three snaps as a defensive lineman. So Kyle Hamilton has played extensively as a deep safety, as a box safety, and in the slot. Uh, I tell you, if the commanders drafted Kyle Hamilton, he or Cameron Curl could be the Buffalo nickel. And you right there would have your Buffalo nickel. You know, Buffalo nickel, of course, is the position in which Landon Collins did well his last season went on, you know, you figure that Bobby McCain is the free safety. Either Curl or Hamilton could be the Buffalo nickel, and the other guy out of Curl and Hamilton could be the strong safety. Remember, Curl in his 2020 rookie season played a good bit as the Buffalo nickel. Uh, You know, it's interesting with this Buffalo nickel thing. Washington in the 2021 regular season quantifiably was much better defensively when playing two safeties and a Buffalo nickel. In essence, when playing three safeties. Uh, Washington in the 2021 regular season had a good deal of success when playing Cameron Curl, Bobby McCain, and Landon Collins at the same time. Uh, According to True Media, Washington in the 2021 regular season held opposing teams to minus 5.8 expected points added, or EPA, when Curl, McCain, and Collins were on the field at the same time. Negative EPA is good for a defense, Uh, but also according to True Media, Washington in the 2021 regular season when the team did not have either Curl, McCain, or Collins on the field allowed opponents to generate 28.3 expected points added. So that's quite a difference. Last regular season, Cameron Curl, Bobby McCain, and Landon Collins on the field at the same time. Washington held opposing teams to minus 5.8 EPA Either Curl, McCain, or Collins off the field, Washington allowed opponents to generate 28.3 EPA. Major discrepancy right there. So drafting Kyle Hamilton would very much allow for the commanders to keep doing their Buffalo nickel thing. Uh, However, there are concerns with Kyle Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton did miss a lot of time in his final collegiate season due to injury. Hamilton in his 2021 
junior season at Notre Dame, played in just seven games due to a knee injury. Uh, he missed Notre Dame's final six games. Also, and you heard Mel Kuyper Jr. reference this in that piece I read to you a few minutes ago, uh, Kyle Hamilton's 40 times have not been great. Now, personally, I don't get sucked into not wanting a guy because of bad 40 times, but you would rather that a guy have good 40 times than have bad 40 times. Uh, all of this is relative, but Hamilton at the 2022 Combine ran a 4.5940. He at Notre Dame's Pro Day on March 25th ran a 4.5640. Uh, those were considered disappointing 40 times for Hamilton. But for me, the biggest cause for pause with Kyle Hamilton is positional value. Uh, here's the bottom line. If the commanders project Hamilton as an NFL safety who will be good against the pass and truly can be deployed in a variety of ways, uh, then great, take him if he's available to you. But if the commanders project Hamilton as an NFL safety who will not be good against the pass and will have to primarily play in the box, uh, then that's a problem, okay? In today's NFL, teams should not be spending significant capital on players who don't either significantly enhance the team's passing game or enhance the team's pass defense. We just went through this with Landon Collins. The ultimate mistake with him was Washington paying him a ton of money with him not being good against the pass. And actually, he did have some problems as a box safety during his time with Washington, especially in the 2020 regular season. But that's beside the point. When it comes to defense in today's NFL, nothing matters more than stopping the pass. And so you shouldn't be spending first round picks in major salary cap space on defensive players who don't in some way significantly help you defend the pass. Will Kyle Hamilton be an all-purpose defensive weapon in the NFL? Or will Hamilton be mostly an in-the-box player who can't be trusted against the pass? Uh, that's the question. But as long as the commanders are comfortable with their answer to that question, uh, then they should be open to drafting Kyle Hamilton. I mean, I'm not sure that Hamilton will be available to the commanders at 11, but if he is and the commanders trust him against the pass in the NFL, then they should totally be open to taking him because he could end up being a spectacular NFL safety. Uh, he was Bucky Brooks, who was an NFL analyst for NFL Network last week on NFL Network on an NFL team for which Kyle Hamilton is a good fit. The Commanders. The Washington Commanders are a nice fit for Kyle Hamilton. Uh, as a box safety who has center field range and skills, he's intriguing. You put him in the middle of that defense, Jack Del Rio, Ron Rivera, they need an enforcer over the middle, in the middle of the field. Kyle Hamilton is that enforcer. I think they can unlock some of that other stuff that he brings to the table. Yeah, so there you go. Bucky Brooks liking himself. Kyle Hamilton for the Commanders. I do too. Again, so long as Hamilton is more than just a box safety. Uh, and now for more on Kyle Hamilton, we welcome on a special guest. All right, time now to find out more about Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, who reportedly the Commanders on Monday hosted for a visit in preparation for the 2022 NFL Draft. I'm very pleased to welcome the Al Galdi podcast, Notre Dame insider Pete Sampson of The Athletic. Uh, you can follow Pete on Twitter at Pete Sampson underscore. Pete, 
Thanks a lot for coming on. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. I am uh, fascinated to see sort of Kyle Hamilton uh, rise and fall uh, in mock drafts without really doing anything. So it's, uh, <laughs> how this all shakes out at the end of the month, um, I'm really looking forward to see how it, how it plays. Yeah, there certainly seems to be a lot of variance with where Kyle Hamilton could go in the 2022 draft. Uh, for the uninitiated, what would the commanders be getting in Kyle Hamilton were they to take him with their number 11 overall pick in the 2022 draft? Uh, I mean, a unique physical specimen, uh, all of 6'4", if not six, you know, plus, all of 220. Um, incredibly intelligent kid, uh, very driven, uh, self-assured. And I went down to Atlanta to see him in high school. Um, I saw his first practice at Notre Dame when he had three interceptions. I saw him make a pick six on his first snap in Notre Dame stadium. He was, he was a sure fire, a three and out players I've covered in some time. And, um, you know, the fact that he is a chance to go in the top 10 or top 11, um, is, is really not a, not anyone would be surprised by that if you covered his career at Notre Dame. The versatility of Kyle Hamilton certainly stands out. Uh, Notre Dame used him in the slot, used him as a free safety, used him as a box safety. Where would you say that Hamilton was at his best for Notre Dame? Uh, I mean, I don't know if we ever really saw it, honestly, because he missed the second half of his junior year with a with an ankle injury, or excuse me, a knee injury. And, uh, you know, they would use him more in the box than they would as a center fielder. That, that was something I always felt like was kind of an untapped part of his game at Notre Dame. We never got to see him sort of play single high for an extended amount of time, um, which is where I think he could just be dynamic in the NFL, you know, with the the hash marks being tighter together, there's, you know, you, you can be a little bit more center field and not, and guys can't stay away from you. But uh, I can tell you at the line of scrimmage uh, against option teams as a, you know, as, as an overhang player, he was dynamic and he would see things coming before um, most everybody else. So you can use him in a number of different ways. Yeah, so the box safety versus free safety thing is a big deal. Uh, in today's NFL, you don't want to be spending a first-round pick on a safety who isn't good against the pass, but it sounds like Kyle Hamilton could excel as a deep safety in the NFL. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, his freshman year, um, this was this probably the example of that. Nurin played USC, and that was, um, you know, USC was Keaton Slovis when he was kind of clicking a little bit. Tyler Vaughns was on that team. Michael Pittman was on that team. And Notre Dame's approach was basically, Hamilton, you're going to be a deep, deep, deep safety and don't let Michael Pittman get behind you. Notre Dame ended up winning that game. Um, it took a while for USC to figure out how to attack that kind of defense. But uh, that's, I mean, Hamilton really let Notre Dame play 11 on a half on 11 um, defensively because he could give you a little bit of everything. Um, you know, it's, He's got good coverage skills, uh, but it's just sort of that reader recognition of versatility and then the range. Is, that's, that's, to me, where he excels the most. So you mentioned Kyle Hamilton's knee injury from last college football season. The injury caused him to miss Notre Dame's final six games of the season. What was the nature of the injury, and is it an injury that's expected to linger? 
I think not not a lingering, not a. I mean, I guess it was lingering last season. But if Notre Dame had made the college football playoff, he was going to play. Um, so it's it it wasn't like he was, um, you know, incapacitated by the end of the year. It, it would definitely prevented him from playing a few weeks after. I mean, he was limping around the field to watch him walk off the field. He was like, okay, this guy's not coming back for a few more weeks. But um, I don't think it's something that will hinder him in the NFL. And honestly, I'm not sure what the injury was. You hear, you know, Brian Kelly talked about a pinched fat pad, which I've never heard of before. Uh, And then I heard people in Kyle Hamilton's camp sort of like almost laugh off that idea that that was the injury. But I, I couldn't get a straight answer about what it actually was. Um, but I feel confident that it's not an injury that is going to prevent him or slow him in any way at the NFL level. We're talking with Notre Dame insider Pete Sampson of The Athletic about Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, who the commanders on Monday reportedly hosted for a pre-draft visit. So these disappointing 40 times that Hamilton has run, he at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-5-9-40. He at Notre Dame's Pro Day on March 25th, ran a 4-5-6-40. Uh, I personally don't go crazy over 40 times, but they're obviously not totally meaningless. Uh, in your opinion, do Kyle Hamilton's 40 times matter? Um, you know, Kyle Hamilton's camp would say that it didn't matter. Um, I also think that Kyle Hamilton's camp, if he ran a 4-3, would tell you how much that it did matter. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I get sort of the posturing over it a little bit. If I was dropped drafting a safety in the top five and you you had to check every single box then i can understand the hesitancy if i was drafting at number 11 i i would think twice about this um i would i would sort of bless the fact that kyle hamilton didn't run a great 40 if i was washington and kyle hamilton was sitting there so i get it i mean i I think it keeps him out of the top five i don't automatically think that it keeps him out of the top 10 and I would be shocked if he had like sort of a you're sitting there at 18 and Kyle Hamilton is still on the board. I think it just is. I understand the, the hesitancy if you're a top five team, but I think you're, I would charge you with overthinking if you're sitting there at seven, eight, nine, and you're like, well, oh, Kyle Hamilton's 40. I'm not sure what I want to do with this. Yeah, yeah. So a year ago at this time, there was a lot of talk about Washington potentially drafting Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa in the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, Now we have all of this Kyle Hamilton talk. Uh, I get that JOK is a linebacker and Hamilton is a safety, but given how each guy can be deployed in a number of ways, are there similarities between Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and Kyle Hamilton? I think that, I mean, in their style of play, no, but I, I do think there are similarities in the fact that if you're not, if you're not creative as a defensive coordinator, then don't take him. Um, you need to be able to build some things around him and, and maximize who they are and what they can do because it's unique. Um, if you're just going to say, like, you know, we play the scheme that we play, um, you know, it's like in the case of Jeremiah Usukoromoa, if you were drafting him to be a 3-4 outside linebacker, I'd say that you were insane. Like, that, that is a, a waste of a pick. Uh, if you're going to let him play in space, um, you know, we'll sort of be like a, a jacked-up nickelback, Okay, um, you know, with Kyle Hamilton, I think you you probably have to be less creative than you do with a Wusu Cormo, but I do think there's similarities there in the sense of like 
they're unique enough that you better have an idea of how you want to use this guy opposed to just like we have a cookie cutter defense. We're just going to plug him in. I don't, I don't think that's the best use of him. Final question. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, the guy. Any attitude questions? Any behavioral questions? No, I mean, no behavioral issues at all. Um, very smart. Like I said at the beginning, very self-assured. Um, some people might even call him stubborn. Um, I'm not saying that in a football sense, just like he's got his opinions about how things should work, and those are his opinions. Um, but, yeah, a, a classic Notre Dame type guy. Um, you know, really put together interests off the field. Um, he was big in the NIL space. Um, as almost sort of like a warm up for getting into the NFL and the business opportunities that he was going to have there. So somebody that thinks a few steps ahead um, and understands who he is, what he represents, who he wants to be associated with, not somebody who's going to get to the NFL and be like, what do I do with all this money? I mean, he grew up, his dad played the NBA for a couple of years, played overseas. Uh, in Atlanta, his mother was friends with, um, she was in real estate, I believe, was friends with people on the Falcons. So like Kyle Hamilton would spend Sundays at like Jamal Anderson's house, just sort of hanging out. Uh, Bob Whitfield, who was a star offensive tackle for a long time in the league, is sort of like his unofficial uncle. So I mentioned that in the sense of like, once he makes it, it's not going to be like, holy cow, what do I do with all this fame and wealth? Like, He's grown up around it, so I, I think his adjustment to the NFL lifestyle is going to be pretty seamless. All right, Notre Dame insider Pete Sampson of The Athletic. Pete, I really appreciate your time. All the best to you. Any problem, or any time. Thanks. Well, a saga that went on for a while is a saga no more. The Commanders finally have themselves a new head athletic trainer. It was six and a half months ago, six and a half months ago, that Washington's director of sports medicine and head athletic trainer, Ryan Vermillion, known to some, aka Ron Rivera as RV, uh, was placed on administrative leave for what the team called an ongoing criminal investigation unrelated to the team. Yes, totally, completely, unequivocally unrelated to the team, only that the team's headquarters had been raided by the feds. But otherwise, this was unrelated to the team. Uh, Don't forget, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department on October 1st of last year conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at Vermillion's residence. We, on October 7th, had multiple reports that the DEA investigation had to do with prescription drugs, and we have heard, like, next to nothing about Vermillion since. Uh, He still has not been formally charged with anything, so we'll see where this goes. Now, a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, he on Monday reported that Vermillion does remain under DEA investigation per a source, so there still is that, but there's still a lot up in the air with Ryan Vermillion, but we do now know this. He is out as the commander's head athletic trainer, and we know that because the commanders on Monday morning announced the hiring of Al Bellamy as head athletic trainer. Uh, No, not Walt Bellamy, uh, not Bill Bellamy, but Al Bellamy. 
Uh, Al Bellamy is actually very familiar with the team now known as the Commanders. Al Bellamy worked for the Redskins as an assistant athletic trainer from 1988 to 2001. Yeah, decade plus. So Al Bellamy was an assistant trainer for the team during its 1991 Super Bowl championship season. Uh, Bellamy then worked for the Detroit Lions as head athletic trainer from January 2001 to April 2013. So Al Bellamy has 25 years of NFL experience. He most recently had been working at Temple. Uh, Bellamy was the director of athletic training for the University of Temple from April 2013 to April 2022. He also, by the way, was an assistant athletic trainer for the University of Miami, DeU. And during the peak days of DeU, Al Bellamy was an assistant athletic trainer for Miami from 1986 to 1988. If you know your history of DeU, you know that 86 to 88 was prime time for Miami football. I mean, that period includes the Hurricanes 1987 national championship season. Those Miami football teams of the 1980s are legendary for all kinds of reasons. Well, Al Bellamy uh, was a part of those teams. He's also a local. Uh, Bellamy attended Archbishop John Carroll High School in Washington, D.C. Now, is Al Bellamy a good head athletic trainer? I have no idea. Uh, Will he be good for the commanders in terms of injury prevention and injury treatment? I have no idea. Uh, I do know that Al Bellamy is well thought of, okay? I have no reason to believe that he'll be a bad head athletic trainer for the commanders. And I guess we can say this. I mean, if Al Bellamy isn't Walter White, uh, (laughs) then Al Bellamy is an upgrade over the last head athletic trainer for the commanders. If, in fact, that last head athletic trainer for the team was guilty of wrongdoing. Again, Ryan Vermillion still has not been charged with anything. But, you know, this whole Ryan Vermillion thing really is something. A, that the team facility and Vermillion's residence got raided by the DEA and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department. Like, you really can't overemphasize that. B, that the Vermillion situation almost had been forgotten with everything else that has been going on with the commanders over the last few months, you know, with the name change and the workplace misconduct scandal and the financial scandal and congressional involvement in the scandals and see that Ryan Vermillion was Ron Rivera's guy. Never forget that. Uh, Ryan Vermillion being investigated by the feds and being placed on administrative leave was a major blow to the idea of a culture reset for Washington being led by Ron Rivera. Uh, Washington hired Ron as head coach on New Year's Day 2020. Washington hired Vermillion as the team's head athletic trainer on January 6th, 2020. Ryan Vermillion was one of Ron Rivera's first big hires as Washington head coach. Vermillion spent 18 seasons, 2002 through 2019, as the head athletic trainer for the Carolina Panthers. Nine of those seasons, 2011 to 2019, were spent working under then-Panthers head coach Ron Rivera. Uh, Vermillion, during the 2020 season, remember, received a lot of public credit from Ron for the excellent job that Washington did with the COVID-19 pandemic. And Washington, in the 2020 regular season, did do an excellent job with COVID. Washington, for the 2020 regular season, had the fewest number of players put on a COVID-19 list, just two, and both of those players weren't even on the active roster at the time. Washington 
placed interior defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis on the reserve COVID-19 list off him having been on the reserve injured list. And Washington placed running back Javon Leak on the COVID-19 practice squad list as Leak had been on, yes, the Washington practice squad. Javon Leak, the Maryland product. Uh, for comparison's sake, the Baltimore Ravens in the 2020 regular season put an NFL worst 42 players on a COVID-19 list. The Las Vegas Raiders were number two with 37 players. The league average without Washington was 15.4 players, but Washington again placed a mere two players on a COVID-19 list during the 2020 regular season. But boy, did Ryan Vermillion's time with Washington end in a scandalous way. And again, he still has not been charged with anything. So we'll see where his situation goes. As I have discussed on the podcast, uh, I have been told by someone who would know that Ryan Vermillion had major issues with Dr. Robin West, uh, who had been Washington's head team physician. Uh, this was part of the fracture that developed between Ron Rivera and Alex Smith because Alex very much trusted Robin, but did not trust Ryan. Ryan was Ron's guy. And so you could see how a fracture would emerge. But here's the bottom line. How good an NFL team's head athletic trainer is matters a lot. You know, no professional sports league is more impacted by injury and player health than the NFL is. And, you know, you think about our team's recent history with head athletic trainers. I mean, for years, the Redskins had Larry Hess as their head athletic trainer. Uh, he ended up not being trusted and or liked by a number of players. Uh, then came Ryan Vermillion, who may have been Walter White. We don't know. And now we have Al Bellamy. So let us hope that Al Bellamy, yes, is very good at his job, but let us also hope that Al Bellamy invokes zero scandal, zero controversy, zero raids by the DEA. Uh, that would be nice. Well, if you stayed up for the Capitals game late night on Monday night and are a Caps fan like me, you were not disappointed. Uh, the Caps, who on Sunday night clinched a playoff spot on Monday night, did not just relax, did not just take things easy. No, the Caps on Monday night won at the best team in the NHL this season, the Colorado Avalanche. A 3-2 win for the Caps at the Avs. On Monday night, the Caps have been very up and down lately, but the ups have been rather high up in terms of wins over good teams. And there ain't no higher up than beating the best team in the NHL. Indeed, in winning at the best team in the NHL. Uh, the Avs came into the game with an NHL best 116 points this season. Uh, the Avs came into the game with a nine-game winning streak. Uh, so much for all of that. Great win for the Caps on Monday night. The Caps this season now are 43-23-10 and have 96 points. Caps now are just one point behind the Boston Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. And the Caps now are just one point behind the Pittsburgh Penguins for third place in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, nothing matters more for the Caps over the rest of their regular season and in the postseason than their goaltending. And we've talked so much about the Caps' goaltending this season. Uh, the goaltending, to me, is the biggest worry with the Caps. Uh, the goaltending has been the biggest worry spot with the Caps. Well, the Caps' goaltending on Monday night was quite good. Uh, Ilya Samsonov was the Caps' starting goaltender for a fifth time in seven games, and he was good. He stopped 24 
of the 26 shots on goal that he faced. Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped to seven of the eight high danger shots on goal that he faced. You know, this was his first outing since getting pulled in the Caps' 7-3 loss at the Toronto Maple Leafs last Thursday night. Samsonov in that game stopped just 15 of the 19 shots on goal that he faced, got pulled in the second period in favor of Vitek Vanacek. But Samsonov on Monday night was good. The Caps, again, were great on the penalty kill, 3-3. Three three. The Caps now, since the start of March, are 53 of 61 on the penalty kill. Uh, boy, has the Caps penalty kill been great lately. And remember, that's despite the Caps being without a key penalty killer in forward Carl Hagelin. Uh, he remains out indefinitely of having undergone left eye surgery on March 1st. Another forward, Joe Snively, remains out due to a left wrist injury. The Caps on March 6th announced that Snively had undergone a left wrist procedure and would be out four to six weeks. Uh, the puck possession battle on Monday night was about even, but the Caps on Monday night had 23 block shots, tied for the second most block shots by the Caps in a game this season. I tell you, the Caps defensively on Monday night really were in postseason form. Also for the Caps on Monday night, yet another milestone goal for Alex Ovechkin. Uh, he had a second period power play goal, a team high four shots on goal, and a game high six hits. Ovechkin's goal, his 48th goal of the season. So yes, Ovi has tied Timu Solani in 2006-2007 for the most goals by a player aged 36 or older in a regular season in NHL history. And the goal moved Ovechkin to within two goals of an NHL record-tying ninth 50-goal regular season. Uh, I've said this before, it just feels like every goal these days by Alex Ovechkin is some kind of milestone goal. We had another one on Monday night. Ovechkin now fourth in the NHL this season with 48 goals. Uh, I mentioned his goal being a power play goal. The Caps on Monday night won a two on the power play. So the Caps now, since the start of March, are 20 of 68 on the power play. 29.4% on the power play. Uh, another Cap who stood out on Monday night, Marcus Johansson. Uh, he had a third period even trend goal. Anti-pernatural stat trick was number three on the Caps in five-on-five five shot attempt percentage for the game at 63.64. The Caps with Johansson on the ice in five-on-five five situations in the game had 14 shot attempts versus allowing just eight shot attempts. Uh, also, defenseman John Carlson on Monday night, a secondary assist and a team-high nine shot attempts. Uh, Carlson's assist gave him a season-best seven-game point streak during which he has four goals and nine assists. Like I said, the Caps have been up and down lately, but you take a step back, the Caps since the start of March now are 15-5-1. During that span, the Caps have the third highest points percentage in the NHL. Uh, The Caps' points percentage since March 1st is 738. Only the Florida Panthers at 886 and the Colorado Avalanche at 739 have been better during that span. So yeah, up and down lately, but overall, hard to complain about the Caps since March 1st being 15-5-1. Here was Caps head coach Peter LaViolette late night on Monday night during his postgame session with reporters. I think we've, I think it's been for a little while, to be honest with you. I mean, 
since January one. I mean, sorry, March one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're sixteen four and one, or sixteen five and one, or something like that. Yeah. So, been playing some pretty good hockey, and tonight was another game. I thought our guys were really good. That was a that was a good game. It was a playoff type game. Uh, it was fast. It was physical. It was tight. Um, lots of good things out there. Yes, there were. Uh, Next up for the Caps is Game 4 of their five-game road trip. The Caps will be at the Vegas Golden Knights Wednesday night at 10. And whereas the Caps late night on Monday night had a big win, the Orioles late night on Monday night uh, had a loss, uh, a 5-1 loss at the Oakland Days in Game 1 of a four-game series and game one of a 10-game road trip. Uh, the O's this season now are just three and seven. Uh, the good news is that the O's on Monday night did get a good outing from their starting pitcher for a fourth consecutive game, and the O's on Monday night got another good relief outing from Keegan Aiken. So Spencer Watkins was the Orioles' starting pitcher on Monday night, and he was good. Uh, he allowed one run in five innings. He gave up just two hits, a double and a single. He issued two walks. He did record just one strikeout, but he threw 44 strikes versus 23 balls on 67 pitches. So good to see this from Spencer Watkins, especially off what Watkins did in his previous start, the 5-4 loss to the Milwaukee Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Tuesday night. Watkins in that game allowed four runs, uh, though just one was earned in three innings, but he in the game gave up two doubles, two singles, two walks, a wild pitch, and a balk and he committed a throwing error. Uh, Watkins was a lot better on Monday night. Here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, late night on Monday night during his postgame session with reporters on Spencer Watkins. Yeah, he did everything he could. He gave us five really good innings. That went three innings his last start. goes five innings to start. Gives up one run there in the first inning, and, and uh, everything we could have asked. Five good innings, one run. Yeah, and we'll take that. Uh, also on Monday night, Keegan Aiken shined as a reliever again. Uh, Aiken tossed two perfect innings, a perfect bottom of the seventh and a perfect bottom of the eighth. So Aiken now this season, over three relief outings, has tossed seven and two-thirds scoreless innings. I mean, I don't want to go crazy over this, right? The sample size is small, but as I have said many times, most relievers are failed starters uh, you hate to say that Keegan Aiken already is to be considered a failed starter, but I tell you, he may just be finding himself here as a reliever. Here was Brandon Hyde late night on Monday night during his postgame session with reporters on Keegan Aiken. Yeah, really good tempo out of the pen, um, attacking hitters and fastballs getting better. Uh, sliders, you know, has improved as well. And, and um you know, he just he's throwing the ball extremely well with with you know attacking the guys in on, in the strike zone and having a lot of success. Yes, he is. Uh, the problems for the O's on Monday night were their hitting and uh, their defense, and uh, unfortunately, those two things matter quite a bit. Uh, the Orioles' offense continues to be really bad. Now, Cedric Mullins on Monday night as the Orioles starting center fielder at number one batter did have a triple. Uh, Austin Hayes on Monday night as the Orioles starting right fielder at number seven batter did have an RBI double and a single, but the O's ultimately scored just the one run. Uh, the O's had just seven hits to go with three walks, went just one of seven with runners in scoring position. The O's through 10 games have a team OPS of just 601. Uh, the O's are just 27th out of 30 teams in MLB in team OPS so far this season. And the Orioles' defense on Monday night was a problem. All four runs given up 
by the Orioles' bullpen were unearned. Uh, the A scored four runs in the bottom of the sixth, during which the O's committed two errors. Uh, third baseman Ramon Arias committed a throwing error, and second baseman Rugnet Odor committed a fielding error. Uh, game two for the O's at the A's is on Tuesday night at 9.40. The Orioles' starting pitcher was not yet announced as of early Tuesday morning. And one more thing before we call it a show. Big news for Virginia basketball on Monday evening. 5'10 senior point guard Kihei Clark is returning for a fifth season with the Cavaliers. Uh, The Wahoos announced this on Monday evening. Kihei Clark, a four-year starting point guard. He is the last remaining member of UVA's 2018-2019 National Championship team. And he's coming back for a fifth season. So Virginia football has quarterback Brennan Armstrong coming back for a fifth season. And Virginia basketball now has a Kihei Clark coming back for a fifth season. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 296. will feature much more on the Commanders. I have some special guests for you coming up this week. I'll also talk Nationals off their day-night doubleheader on Tuesday against the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park. Game one on Tuesday afternoon at 105. Game two on Tuesday evening at 705. And I'll talk Orioles. Game two for them at the Oakland A's is on Tuesday night at 940. Have a great rest of your Tuesday and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. The off-season program or strength and conditioning program.